Fuck I talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome to Buckeye Talk and Market Down Monday. I'm Nathan Baird, Cleveland.com, along with Doug Maurice, Stephen Means. We are one day removed from having a pretty heated discussion that you guys would have heard last week on the Thursday podcast. Have we carried any of that fervor over into today's hopefully very argumentative edition of Market Down Monday? Well, I was just going through our tech subscribers' response to that because when we had our debate on Thursday about uh, whether what it would take for Ryan Day to fall out of favor, what kind of season it would take in 2020 for that to happen, I said, I want to hear. Let us know. Let us know. So I have uh, I tallied 16 responses from tech subscribers. I've pulled out a couple of their uh, texts, some of them long, some of them very interesting. And we can get into that later if you would like, Nathan. This is your Market Down Monday. But I also have the results of the voting. So um, yeah, there's still some energy, I think, because people are now absorbing the energy we had in our debate, and they are bringing that on the texts, and they have some very strong opinions. So whatever you want to do with that, you're the man on Market That Monday. Well, as long as you brought it up, what, what is the tally? Oh, I will say that I feel vindicated. Um, I argued that it would take probably five or six losses for Ryan Day to fall out of favor in 2020. You guys both said three losses. And let me double check here. Um, there were four people who agreed with me. So shout out to those four people, including the person who asked the question agreed with me. And only, let me double check, only uh, only nine people agreed with you guys. <laughs> kind of crazy oh. ass math. <laughs> only nine people agreed with us. And three people were like in the middle. So I would say that I won the vote four to nine. <laughs> Only more than half of the people agreed with us. This were, is like crazy third world dictator uh, presidential election. Yeah. It's the electoral vote. college yeah. of our vote. I, I got the votes. My four votes just happened to add up to a win as opposed to your nine votes. <laughs> That's no, Kim Jong-un winning with 102% of the yeah. vote. There were definitely some responses that used my name and the, the adjective ignorant. So uh, it did not go for me as I, will I say this. might have expected. I will say this. Despite our best results to come to a consensus on the playing field of that question before we started it, I still think – and this is not a first-time occurrence on Buckeye Talk. I still think we got to the end of that question on, on without a common understanding of exactly what we were arguing about. But I feel like that didn't hold us back from going at it full guns – and I think that is uh, commendable. As one of the slogans suggested that we read on the recent podcast, something like a debate demanded conclusions optional. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of an example of that. Well, so today we're going to get into today's topic from Market Down Monday. And I think it's a topic that we, we asked for specificity. We're asking people to pick you know, one player to answer this question. But I also think there are so many contenders that – it may not be that argumentative today because I think there are a lot of plausible, correct answers to this. So the question this week, very simple, I thought. Who will lead Ohio State in sacks in 2020? And if you want to throw a number on the end of that to, to really like goose up your Market Down Monday credentials, I think we should definitely put a number along with ours. But I asked the readers to as well, and many of them did. 
So who will lead Ohio State in sacks in 2020? We got, let's see, eight players received at least one vote as to who could lead Ohio State in sacks in 2020. So I guess my first question to you guys is, is it a good thing that Ohio State has that many contenders for that title? Or is it potentially a problem that they don't have what they would have had a year ago at this time, which is you ask this question, this never would have been a market down Monday. It would have been the worst market down Monday of all time to ask who's going to lead Ohio State in sacks in 2019. There was one possible answer and it was Chase Young. And clearly he, he went out and did that. Is it, do you consider it a potential strength of Ohio State's team that there are a lot of plausible candidates or is it indicative of kind of a murky situation right now as to what this pass rush really will be? No, I don't think the variety in answers is a problem because like, to that point, I mean, Chase Young was going to be either the number one or number two pick, depending on what the quarterback situation looked like. And obviously Joe Burns would be a number one. So there was no reason to have that argument. And that's not a problem either. When you have a generational talent, it's okay to be able to come to the table and go, okay, that guy's going to lead us in sacks. This is not an issue either because it's, it's, it gives you, I guess, a little bit more depth at who can be, you know, your your best option in the, on a given any given Saturday. While last year year it seemed like if Chase Young in, in the games that mattered, if Chase Young wasn't being Chase Young, nobody was getting sacks. And this is the this is the interpretation, right, for 2020. Do they have a lot of guys who are potentially good pass rushers, or do they just have a lot of guys who will need to be pass rushers or will be asked to get to the quarterback, but we don't know how good any of them necessarily are for 2020 at it. Doug, I guess how did do you was this a hard decision? Did you see a lot of candidates to pick from plausibly to answer this question? My interpretation of eight different players getting answers is that a lot of texters are wrong. There's two answers. I, 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 the mental gymnastics to me that it would take to get to anyone other than to what to me are the two obvious answers, um, I would be I'm very surprised by. So I am eager to hear the responses of who these eight are. I think we have an idea of who the eight are, but I think if you're going down some roads on these guys, like it's not a guarantee. There's always a, you know, a thing that can be a surprise, but like if we were setting like betting lines on what's the, what are the betting lines on who's going to lead Ohio state in sacks and who's two to one and who's four to one and who's six to one. Man, I just feel like there would be two huge favorites, and I would advise against putting your money on anybody else. So Ohio State had 54 sacks in 2019. The number one guy, obviously Chase Young, 16 and a half, set a new uh, program record. 20.5 of those sacks return for 2020. Uh, Baron Browning with five, Zach Harrison with three and a half, Tyree Smith with three, Tyler Friday with two, Sean Wade with two. Nobody else had more than two. Will Ohio State – let's do some, just some, a couple quick questions. Will Ohio State have more or fewer sacks in 2020 than it did in 2019? Fewer. Fewer. And will Ohio State – this is probably also a quick answer, but I thought I'd throw it in there for fun in case we want to argue. Will Ohio State have more or fewer sacks than its opponents will in 2020? I think they gave up 35 last year, at least yes. just in, so they gave up 35. How many did they have again last year? 54. That's I think a they'll pretty have more. big gap. Yeah, I don't I mean, think the gap will be that big, though, but I think they'll have more. I think it could be close. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not so sure that the math is, is well, 
Well, they have like, is it just taking out Chase? Could you just do the math that way that you take 16 and a half yeah. sacks off of 54 and that's it? I think it, I think they won't have, I mean, I'd maybe say they'll have 40 or 42 sacks, which is like 12 fewer, but I wouldn't be surprised if they give up a few more sacks because I am pro sack on Justin Fields because that means that he's hanging in and trying to make plays and I'm willing to take sacks in the trade-off for big plays. But again, Joe Burrow, that's the same number of sacks Joe Burrow had last year. LSU gave up 35. So I don't know that there'll be a huge jump in sacks, but if you told me they end up giving up like give up 38 and they get 43, that's a much closer gap than last year, but it's still they sack more than they give up. LSU played one more game and threw the ball more than Ohio State did last season. So those both factors in, I think the percentages wouldn't necessarily come out the same, but I, I agree with kind of where you're going with that. I think it's actually possible that Ohio State, those numbers may wash out a little bit because I think the offensive line play is going to be really strong. Maybe even a step, as we talked about, a step ahead of where it was last year. So the total may end up kind of washing out. Um, as you guys were considering, you know, we, we've talked before, obviously Chase Young leaving takes a big op- option out of, off of the front line. So that's why it would make sense to say they would have fewer sacks than they did in 2019. Do you Did you factor in the potential drop in coverage skill in the secondary at all as you're answering this question? Because we talked before about how those two things are connected and what that means in terms of a pass rush for a team. No, but I should have. It's a good yeah, point. Yeah. It wasn't in my head, but it's completely valid because they play off each other. Jeff Okuda made Chase Young better and Chase yeah. Young made Jeff Especially Okuda. since they spent a lot of time in cover three. Yeah, I probably should have thought about that. So we'll get into the uh, the texture votes later. I will say there there was one candidate who ended up with a a bulk of the jo- of the vote um, did not get a uh, plurality of the entire voting field, but was kind of the runaway winner. So it's um, a runoff. We have a runoff with the two leading <laughs> vote getters. I guess it depends. I would go state by state. I don't know what Ohio's laws are for that. Um, if it was a presidential election, it would still be you know whoever got the most votes wins, right? Whoever gets the most electoral college Correct. votes wins. So I guess we'll just go with that. We'll say that this person will be the president of Sachs for Ohio State in, in ah, 2020. That is not a bad nickname. I, I'm imagining who I think probably won. I would. I think we should run that nickname by him the first time we see him and say, would you like to be president of Sachs? I, I think whoever, if you, any player on this team, I hope, if you, especially from this list of guys who haven't necessarily done it yet, I would say, how about wait until the end of the year and call me the president of sacks. I don't know if I want to go in with that kind of target on my back or that kind of expectation uh, before I've earned it, but let's go around. The, let's go around the group. Let's go all three of us. Um, I'm going to start with you, Steven. Who did you pick to lead Ohio state and sacks in 2020? I'm going to assume that you both picked one of the two obvious answers. So I'm throwing a wild card out here just because I've been thinking about it for the past 24 hours and I've kind of, Walk myself into a circle. Before we start, are you throwing it out there just because you want your answer to be different, or are you throwing it out there because no, I'm no, I'm like I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that it's a, it's a real possibility. Um, Not a real possibility, but you think he's going? If you had to bet money, if we said Stephen, your life is on the line, who's going to lead the team in sacks? This is the guy you would say. Yeah. Okay. I want to, I want to interject real quick. While there was a kind of a runaway winner, there were four players who received at least ten percent of the vote from our texters. So, so, so what Doug and I think actually myself see is maybe a, a more streamlined list of candidates. That's not a view shared by the population at large. So Stephen, go ahead with your answer. Okay. I said Baron Browning. And part of the reason why is he does spend 
a good amount of time with Larry Johnson and the defensive lineman working on pass rushing drills in practice, especially at the end of practice. But I also thought about Chase Young in the Wisconsin game. Obviously, he's not as good as Chase Young, but when they were using him as a linebacker, as a stand-up extra linebacker on certain on certain downs throughout that game, they can do that exact same thing with Baron Browning because he's already a linebacker. But then also on third down situations, if they wanted him to be in the rushing package, which he like, it looks like he might be, he can put his hand in the ground and also get sacks that way. He's already the retur- leading return return sack getter among guys who are returning, and. And, he, and, he's, and he's now moving into a position where he's going to be freed up to just be more of a playmaker and not have to be a Mike, a Mike linebacker and worry about doing the things that comes with that responsibility of that job. So he's freed up to do that more often as a former five-star player, number one outside linebacker in his class. I would put some money on it that, yeah, Baron Browning could be the leader in sacks this year. Baron Browning received 14.6% of the vote. Um, was the second highest vote getter tied with someone else. Um, a couple of people, um, uh, um, I, have a, I have a prediction of as many as 11 for him from, from our texters. Uh, Doug was Baron Browning. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to take that back. I have a prediction as high as 13 sacks for Baron Browning I'm not in 2020. No. Um, did you put a number? I'm sorry. I, did you say what number you think he'll get? I didn't, but for the sake of it being marked, I'll say 10. I'll say 10 sacks leads this team. Doug, was Baron Browning one of the two people that you considered? Okay, so again, I, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible that Baron Browning would lead Ohio State in sacks. I think picking him to lead the team in sacks is ludicrous. Absolutely insane. The last 20 years, a defensive end has led Ohio State in sacks every year except one, where A.J. Hawk as a linebacker tied for the team lead. He's not a defensive end. He's not. Now, I know everybody, he was one of the few position groups that talked to reporters in the spring, and I wasn't there, and you guys were there, and I was rereading everybody's stories about he was talking about working with the defensive ends, um, and everybody's really excited about that. He's not a defensive end, and I know he had five sacks last year. Someone else, I think Colin Hill from 11 Warriors wrote about this, and he put together a little clip package, or somebody did, I think Colin did it, and so I watched that. It was three of Baron Browning's five sacks from last year. And I didn't know what the other two were. I didn't go to look for them all. But I took these three because they were right in front of me. They were against Penn State, Clemson, and Michigan State. Of the three sacks that, that, that were shown, can you guys guess what the common thing was in all three of the instances for three of those five sacks? What happened on that play with Baron Browning when he got those sacks? People were paying more attention to Chase Young. He was standing next to Chase Young every time. He was lined up right next to him. Against Penn State, nobody on the offensive line blocked him, and he ran over a running back and sacked the quarterback. Against Clemson, the right tackle was trying to lean in to double-team Chase and got out late, and Baron Browning went right around him. And against Michigan State, it was the exact same thing. The tackle reached out and was trying to double team with the guard chase inside and Baron Browning went right around him. They were pure speed rushes. He did not have to beat an offensive lineman one-on-one. And I have been an advocate for Baron Browning since he got here. We have no proof that he has any pass rush moves. He just is fast. So I get it. He's working with Larry Johnson now for the first time. I, maybe he's going to learn some technique. 
we have no proof of what he will be like as a pass rusher when he's not lining up next to the best college pass rusher of the last decade who was absorbing every ounce of that offense's attention. That was a, that was a wrinkle. They were like, well, what can we do? Let's put a really fast guy next to Chase Young and see what happens. And what happened was a couple times it looked like Baron Browning was shot out of a cannon and nobody blocked him. The idea that he's going to like come in and like be a pass rusher. Now, I guess if they use him in wrinkles and that kind of thing, first of all, he doesn't put his hand on the ground. He stands up. So like if he's going to be that in a rushman package and float and whatever, first of all, there's nobody else who's going to warrant the attention of Chase Young to free free up Baron Browning. And last year was kind of like a midseason wrinkle that offenses were late adjusting to. So to think that like he's going to line up and do that 14 times or 12 times or 10 times and, and be more successful than Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Jonathan Cooper and Javante Jean-Baptiste and Tyler Friday, who are going to be lining up at defensive end a lot more, I just think is weird. And I, I don't think it's impossible because maybe he will be like, so incredibly good at it that he will get like eight and a half sacks and a bunch of other guys will have seven or six. And it's just like, man, he's just really good at being a speed rusher in a wrinkle. Um, I just am not expecting to him, him to be like a great typical pass rusher with pass rush moves because he's entering his senior year and like, he's never done it before. He's been a wrinkle pass rush guy. And I just am never going to bet on a wrinkle pass rush guy to lead this team in sacks when I think there are two very clear, legitimate pass rush guys who I'd bet on more. You know, I was the one who um, a couple weeks ago, we do these every day now, and I start to forget some of the specificity of the questions that lead us into our topics. But I was the one who, in the discussion of something else, posited maybe Baron Browning is just the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year in 2020. And in the course of that conversation, I was the one who threw out there, I mean, I, I think it's it's plausible, kind of like what Doug is saying. Like, could you get to that eight and a half, nine sack at the very top, maybe plateau of where I think you could get to? And if, and if just because there are so many other candidates that they move around as far as the defensive ends, nobody gets a, a, a big pile of sacks this year and he, he leads the team that way. Um, I guess, Stephen, what's your rebuttal as to why you think what Doug is saying um, doesn't maybe fully capture what Browning can accomplish this year? My rebuttal to that is, Yes, those guys are talented, but none of those guys are going to warrant a large abundance number of snaps over the rest of the unit the way Chase Young did last year. A lot, All those guys are going to be around the same amount. And, yeah, Baron Browning hasn't proven it, but you know who else hasn't really proven it on a consistent basis? Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Jonathan Cooper, Tyler Friday, Devontae Jean-Baptiste. Those guys haven't proven either, and I think that's what plays a role in this. It takes a year where maybe there's a guy with – who is a senior, yes, and maybe, okay, maybe he hasn't proven him, but okay, he hasn't, sure. But a guy who is a senior who has a base level of experience moving into a role that probably fits him, his skill set more naturally combined with maybe this just isn't the year where there's a dominant pass rusher on a defensive line. That's Doug, what it think, takes. Doug, I think you can probably answer that in the course of, of giving your answer, so why don't you go ahead and do that? My prediction is Zach Harrison with eight. In the last 20 years, there have only been – this again, by the way, like I'm not trying to be well. Screw it. I mean, if you think someone's gonna, if you think Baron Browning can get 10 sacks, you're crazy. I mean, you're just crazy. There have only been four, no, five seasons in the last 20 where Ohio State had anybody get 10 sacks. 
It just so happens that like it happened the last two years with Chase Young, who was a freak. Chase Young, 16 and a half last year. Chase Young, 10 and a half and 18. Joey Bosa, 13 and a half in 2014. Vernon Golston, 14 in 2007. Will Smith, 10 and a half in 2003. Those are the only times that the guy leading the team had double-digit sacks. And you think that, like, Baron Browning as a wrinkle pass rusher is going to have double-digit sacks? I think it's bonkers. They have guys lead the team in sacks with eight all the time. Nick Bosa in 2017 led the team with eight and a half. Tyquan Lewis, 16 and 15, led with eight. Noah Spence, 2013, eight. John Simon, 12 and 11, nine and seven sacks. So, like... I, I get it. Like our, our texters don't have to research stuff. I mean, like we just, we love your opinions and we appreciate it. But like, I think Chase Young has made people forget that like sacks are hard. And I know the game has changed and everybody's throwing the ball more. And so like to reference the fact that Nathan Williams as a defensive end led Ohio state with four and a half sacks in 2010, that's not really relevant to today, but neither is Chase Young. So I would be very cautious about predicting anybody on this team to have double-digit sacks because sacks are hard. And you get pressure all the time, and the guy throws it away. Or, you know, like, let's not take Chase Young for granted and think that, like, Baron Browning is going to come in and come within two or three sacks of how many Chase Young had. So I think Zach Harrison is – and to like Steven's point of like, well, he's not proven either. Well, at least he's a defensive end and he's a five-star guy and he's been playing the position for a year and he's going to play it when he plays a snap, it's going to be a defensive end and he's going to be trying to rush the passer. And Baron Browning, like the other thing is if you pick Baron Browning, do you think like he's going to be blitzing from outside linebacker and get a bunch of sacks? Cause like they don't do that a ton. Or do you think it's all going to be when he's in as a wrinkle pass rusher on only on third down and I just think when you're talking about a prediction like this I think Zach Harrison you know there'll be times when like the snap goes over the quarterback's head and he has to fall on it and on first down and Zach Harrison's right there and he gets credit for a sack there'll be times when like you know it's some random second down thing and it's second and seven and the quarterback's running all around and there's actually good protection but he holds the ball too long, and Zach Harrison gets a sack. I think when you're an every-down defensive end, you're going to stumble into a, tuple, a couple cheapies that I think it'll be harder for Baron Browning to get some cheapies. But I also think, you know, we all think Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are pretty good. And, yeah, I think they'll rotate, but I'm going to take the guy who I think will be the best pass rusher in the group of rotating guys. And to me, the only two choices there are Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. I went with Zach. And I think I just think it's going to be hard maybe for anybody to get the double figures. Um, so I think eight, given the history, is a very reasonable amount. I'm going to give my prediction, and I'm going to come back to Stephen to to kind of respond to that because uh, very boringly, Doug and I have the same answer. I also picked Zach Harrison. Uh, I actually said seven and a half, and I think there could be – I think it's going to be him and Tyreek Smith like right next to each other probably. Um, and I, I, it could be either one of those two guys, but I, we were kind of of the same mind here. And for me, it just came down to everything, any, everything we're saying, I think is of the plausibility of any of these guys leading is correct. I just kind of, I, I thought back I disagree to last with that. season. I disagree with that. I think there's two plausible guys and everybody else is a tremendous long shot. Okay. Okay. But uh, even, I, even you, even you saw a scenario. Yes. There's a way that, that Baron Bryan could lead this team. In I, I am quibbling. I almost quibbled previously. I don't think it's plausible. I think okay. it's possible. Okay. 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 Again. Okay. Possible. Okay. So, but 
but when I look back at 2019, I'm, I'm looking at that list of guys who had sacks last year, who's returning to this defense, who's going to be in a position to make this kind of an impact. And I just simply looked at that list and thought, who impressed me the most athletically? Because kind of going back to something you said earlier, Doug, about regardless of the opportunity that Baron Browning may be put in this year, we don't know if he has pass rush skills, like true pass rush skills, like one-on-one beat that offensive, beat that offensive tackle pass rush skills. And I see, when I look at Zach Harrison, I see a separation, even in the flashes that we just saw as a freshman. And I think that's an important thing to remember too, is this, this freshman, the sophomore growth that we've seen from other defensive ends in under Larry Johnson in recent years. I already I saw the baseline that he came in with last year and some of the plays he was able to make last year in a more limited capacity and watching him now have a, a year of experience under his belt, a year of tutelage from Larry Johnson under his belt, a year of tutelage from Chase Young under his belt and being able to apply that now as a sophomore with more savvy, with more skill, another year of physical growth. That's the, that's the easiest projection for me to have a really high ceiling of pass rush from an individual player for Ohio State in 2020. Steven, as you were kind of considering the candidates, I guess why were you hesitant to give Zach Harrison that kind of credit going into his sophomore season? Part of it was the multiple ways that they can possibly use Baron Browning, but also this is not a third year Zach Harrison. This is second year Zach Harrison who – does not have the benefit of playing with the best defensive player in America next season. It's not like Zach, Zach played a lot last year. He played 284 snaps, scored an 11 Warriors snap, snap count, which is only 84 less than what Baron Browning played, played. So to the point of, you know, a lot of what Baron Browning was able to do was because he was standing right next to Chase Young. He benefited off of Chase Young. Well, no one else on this defensive line from a defensive end spots was able to benefit off of Chase Young. So they didn't why line up next to him. They didn't line up next to You're him. You're right. They, have, they lined up opposite of him. So it, the, all the attention is on the other side of the field. So why weren't they able to take advantage of it the way that Baron Browning was? Because they weren't unblocked by the guy standing right in front of them who was simultaneously trying to block Chase Young. It's I about- think that – go ahead. Go ahead, finish. No, I mean, like, we understand that. We talk about it all the time. It's like, okay, Chase Young's getting a double team. You're getting single teamed on the other side. Baron Browning was getting half teamed. He wasn't even getting single teamed. His guy tried to block Chase Young first and didn't block Baron Browning. That's different than Zach Harrison being on the opposite side of Chase Young and not getting a double team because Chase Young is getting that. Baron Browning had like a free path to the quarterback on those three that I mentioned. Now, you still got to get there. You still got to be fast. You still got to make the tackle. I'm not trying to take away credit from Baron Browning. I'm the last guy who's going to do that. I'm just trying to say the object is who's going to lead the team in sacks. He lined up next to Chase Young, which is different than lining up opposite him. I want to get to one text response that, that speaks directly to the decision that Doug and I made between Zach Harris and Tyreek Smith. And we'll take a break. We're going to come back and get into text responses a lot more after the break. Um, but this is from the 216. I don't think anyone will reach double-digit sacks because of how much they'll rotate, similar to 2017 Ohio State. But I'll go with Tyreek Smith ending the year with 8.5 sacks as a leader because I think he's the best player and has been only held back by injury. Harrison's easy choice, but I think some of his big plays were more about being in the right place at the right time. I think he needs another year to develop and pro football focus 
backs me up on this. I like it when they bring receipts and, and bring some and like bring some study into this. Going into the college football playoff, Smith had 18 total sacks or pressures on 123 pass rush snaps, so that's 14.6% pressure rate. Harrison had seven sacks on pressures of 118 pass rush snaps, 5.9% pressure rate. I saw that response before I then went ahead and gave my answer, which was that that I understand that stat, but I'm kind of banking on the the leap, the sophomore leap that Zach Harrison can make. Doug, how how did you consider it when you're breaking down the, the option between Harrison and Smith? How much of it is what you saw last year from Harrison and what that could be making that that kind of traditional freshman to sophomore big jump that you see? Man, I feel I think if I saw that stat, I would have picked Tyreek Smith. So you like yeah. when they bring the receipts, you just don't use the receipts that they bring. That's a great stat. Well, I mean, as, yeah. as, as we've all heard, a statistics can say, there's probably some other statistic out there that would benefit Zach Harrison. I don't, I don't know. That was one stat that was brought to the mix, but it did, it was a compelling argument for maybe have we underrated Tyreek Smith a little bit in the impact that he made last year. He only had three, what did I say? Three and a three sacks last year, Tyreek Smith, three sacks in 11 games. Cause he missed some games and I think missed some other, um, it probably hampered him in, in the rotation a little bit at times too. So if you extract, if you prorate that, it would have been four sacks, a little under four sacks over 14 games, 13 games. Yeah. No, I think, I think, I think Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are almost like a coin flip on this. You know, that again, if it was betting lines, I mean, if you told me that, you know, you maybe Zach Harrison was two to one and maybe Tyreek Smith is five to two, and then it's like a big gap to everybody else. I mean, and if you, I'm here for every argument in favor of Tyreek Smith, because it's just, that's the same thing, right? There's going to be a defensive end rotation. You know, they're both going to play. I would guess they'll take the most snaps. You know, they'll be first and second in defensive end snaps ahead of Jonathan Cooper and Javante Jean-Baptiste and Tyler Friday. The one thing is, and Stephen, I was referencing this um, when you wrote about the package they used when Chase Young was out against Maryland. I think some of those Rushman packages, Zach Harrison was the guy who was inside and Tyreek was still on the edge. I think if you're playing the sack game, I mean, on the Rushman package, you'd still rather be on the edge than at tackle. Um, so maybe that's actually an edge for Tyreek. But I, I'm here for it. I mean, it's again, I think, I think Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are in very similar circumstances. I think the idea that injuries have held back Tyreek is, is absolutely legitimate. Um, and and Tyreek's a year older. So if you want to make a compelling case for why Tyreek Smith should be the answer to this, I'm here for it. We're going to take a break there. We're going to come back the second half of this. We're going to get into our subscriber answers and uh, some really interesting answers in here, um, especially some that I think would qualify as like, well, like the 13 sacks. That's basically like Baron Browning fan fiction, right? Like some really, some, some fairly fanciful, um, some predictions out here. We're going to get back to those when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, we are discussing who will lead Ohio State in sacks in 2020. We all gave our answers. Uh, if you're just joining us, which that would be really weird if you like scrolled ahead just to where the commercial break was and started listening. But uh, Stephen picked Baron Browning with 10 sacks. Doug picked Zach Harrison with eight sacks. I picked Zach Harrison with seven and a half sacks. So essentially the same answer there. Um, here was the breakdown in percentages from our textures. We start at the bottom. Um, players who received only one vote, Tyler Friday, Tommy Togiai, and Sean Wade. I think one of those, Tyler Friday is an interesting um, answer. Um, Tommy Togi, I, I don't know if I think a player at his position, the way that they move guys around, I don't know if he's the most likely answer. And Sean Wade he's is. He's nose, kind of, man. He's not even going to try to pass rush. He's like a right. yeah. 
Like Teron Vincent, Pascal Garrett are more reasonable tackle answers. Yeah. And um, and then the, the Sean Wade answer is really out of there. He had two sacks last year as the uh, slot corner. I think his opportunities to blitz are going to be much more zero rare. I think somebody is. I think somebody is still thinking about that Clemson hit. Is that Randy Wade? Way too much. Randy. <laughs> yeah, man. Randy, you voting, man? Boy, that man is going to be in coverage. I mean, like, if we were to play the game of how many interceptions is Sean Wade, how many pass breakups is Sean Wade going to have, I'm here yeah. for that game. I am not here for the Sean Wade sack game. I mean, it's kind of like predicting Sean, Haskell Garrett will lead the team in interceptions. Yeah. Sean Wade is getting sacked. That means somebody's open downfield giving up 60-yard touchdown. Uh, from the 814, Tyler Friday is going to oppose Harrison as the primary defensive end earning not only first-team Big Ten, but first-team All-American with a 14-sack season, forcing four fumbles and an interception. Now, I love specificity, but that is some fanciful specificity. I think uh, 14 sacks for Tyler Friday. By the way, he had two. Two in 2019. He did play a decent amount. He had 220 snaps compared to 243 for Tyreek Smith, and they both had three games where they didn't play at all because of injury. Right. So Friday was, was a little bit limited, just like Tyreek Smith was, and he was in the same range of snaps. So, um, you know, you look at the big, at the champion, at the playoff semifinal against Clemson, Tyreek Smith played 31 snaps, Zach Harrison, 25, Tyler Friday, 15. So you could see like when it was money time with the season on the line, Tyler Friday didn't play as much as the other two guys. But um, like, if you think Tyler Friday is going to emerge as the best guy, or even like, Best guy and most sacks is also not the same thing. Right. In 2015, Tyquan Lewis had more snaps, had more sacks than Joey Bosa, right? So right. that's also a wrinkle to this is like you might think Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith might emerge as the best pass rusher on this team, which means they get so much attention they don't get as many sacks. So like there's, I think there's like a Tyler Friday window like in that kind of idea that he's good enough to get to the quarterback because he's not the most dangerous guy in the field, but he's like a really good complimentary guy, just like Tyquan Lewis was at Joey Bosa. So there were two guys, like I said, we had eight vote getters and there were two guys who I had originally had on the list as I, to guys who I would count, assuming they might get a vote. And that was Haskell Garrett and Javante Jean-Baptiste. And neither one of them got a vote. And I think in both of those cases, it's um, we just don't know the opportunity there, especially Javante Jean-Baptiste, just how many defensive ends they have. Who knows how many snaps he'll get. Haskell Garrett, a, a guy who will be part-time, um, presumably with, with Tron Vincent. Um, a tackle is a bad pick. I mean, a defensive yes. tackle where they have five defensive mm-hmm. ends is just, it's a bad choice. I suppose someone could spin the other way and say, well, they have so many defensive ends that the chances of one of them leading the team is less than a really good defensive tackle. If you had a really good defense, if you had a really great three technique, I suppose I could see um, that argument. And that takes us right into my next point, which is uh, Teron Vincent received 6% of the vote, a little over 6% of the vote. Um, a couple answers on him. Um, Teron Vincent is going to eat this year. This is from the 614. I think he could get 11 or 12 sacks and just be absolutely a nightmare for QBs because we all know, QBs want to step up in the pocket. If he's coming up the middle, good luck. Um, another vote for nine sacks. Um, uh, from the 816, this defensive front reminds me of the 2018 defense minus the horrible scheme. Uh, Draymond Jones had eight and a half sacks that year, but not with a great pass rush around him except for Chase Young. He was dealing with injuries and wasn't yet what he became in 2019. With Vincent finally healthy, he'll remind everyone why he's a top 20 recruit. I think Teron Vincent 
outside of the I almost think out of the two that Doug and I were talking about, I think Teron Vincent might be third on my list. I I see such a potential stealing for him. He's one of the most intriguing players on this entire roster for 2020 because we've seen so little and the ceiling seems so high. And that's fine, but to the point that was already made about Baron Browning, we haven't seen him do it in any capacity. Well, we haven't seen anybody do anything. I mean, at some point, I mean, but he, but he, and but he's to more of a degree because he just did he didn't play last year. So to say he's going to go from not playing to leading the team in sacks at defensive tackle at that, not even as an edge rusher, is. I mean, sixty percent of last year's tackles are no longer in, the, or last year's sacks are no longer in this program. The guy who had the most among returning players was Browning, but as Doug pointed out, um, three of those situationally played off of directly getting to stand up next to Chase Young. I think that's why I thought this was a great market down Monday question because it you you are kind of having to take a bit of a, a leap of faith on whoever you pick, whether you're picking Browning, whether you're picking Zach Harrison, whether you're picking Tyreek Smith. There is a leap of faith involved in any of those. I will say I'm going to back off my thing that tackle is a bad choice because I do think the Texan makes a good point. Draymond, th- they want pass rushing tackles. Draymond had eight and a half. Davon Hamilton had six last year. Adolphus Washington had four and a half and four uh, in his last two years at Ohio State. So it's it's not completely unreasonable because they do want, again, and we've talked about it a lot, I mean, they do want those athletic defensive tackles when you're playing three-tech can get after the quarterback a little bit. So it's it's actually not insane. Um, to pick a tackle. And and I will say, I didn't think this was that interesting of a market down Monday question because I think the two guys are so obvious. Like, I, it's good that other people had, had other answers. Again, I'm just telling you, man, if you are going anywhere other than Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith, I just think you're kind of spinning yourself in a circle to justify something because, yes, they're rotating and all this stuff, but, like, the best defensive end is still, like, the best answer to this question, I think, Clearly, I think you can get to an answer like um, Teron Vincent and have it be as much about an, an analysis of the roster dynamics than it is about how good you think Teron Vincent is, too. I think that that's that's, I guess, part of what plays into this. Um, so that probably isn't even a starter. Pro- yeah. Probably not to start the season. No. So, like, I mean, you know, like, again, you, people can twist themselves into certain things. Haskell Garrett is probably going to start who was like mm-hmm. a top 100 national recruit and is older and has been healthy. So it doesn't mean Tron Vincent's not going to play. I'm just telling you, like, if you're predicting double did when Draymond Jones led, had eight and a half sacks in 2018, mm-hmm. Nick Bosa was hurt. Draymond was like clearly the best pass rusher on that team for the season, the last nine games of the season after Nick mm-hmm. Bosa went out. Draymond was a former defensive end who got moved to tackle. Draymond was like Draymond is a super athletic. He was a guy who took till his fourth year to come into his own. Draymond Jones had one sack his first three years at Ohio State as a redshirt in the first two years he played. He had eight and a half as a redshirt junior. So like on the on the idea of well could a tackle get after it? Okay, that was like peak athletic pass rusher tackle for Ohio State in his last year before he went to the NFL, and he had eight and a half. So that's like the best a tackle could ever pass rush at Ohio State. And he had eight and a half. So like if you're predicting double digit sacks for Teron Vincent, again, I think it's fan fiction. 
I, I, I think I agree with that. I, I think it, it would have to be in, in more of that range that we were talking about before. Um, as I said earlier, uh, four players received 10% or more of the vote. And the one that surprised me, well, the one that surprised me the most, uh, was 10% of the vote going to Jonathan Cooper. Um, reading a couple answers real quick. Um, our friend Khaled in the 858. Um, Doug keeps talking about Jonathan Cooper is solid, but not great. But when I watched some of his highlight sacks, they were coming at key moments many times, especially against Michigan. And the guy might be someone we took for granted all this time. Chase was definitely a factor in making others look good, but I have a good gut feeling about Cooper. He was torn between Cooper and Zach Harrison and um, as to either being the giant step or the sleeping giant. And I ultimately put him down for the sleeping giant vote. Um, I love Khaled. He's one of our best texters. When Jonathan Cooper played 12 games in 2018, you know how many sacks he had? Two and a half. Yeah. So he's talking about the sacks, the the plural sacks. He has six and a half sacks in his career. Uh, here's so, one from the yeah. Good luck. Uh, and and again, just from the rotational perspective, his snaps are going to be potentially split up. So uh, from the four one nine, mark it down Monday, baby. That's in all caps with an exclamation point. I'm 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 enthused that we're getting this kind of response from those of you out there. By the way, every time I go and look at at the subtext portal. Our numbers are going up. Like we're we're gaining people every day, and I'm really excited about that. So thanks to those of you who've signed up recently. Uh, mark it down Monday, baby. Um, this is kind of a long one. My brother, uncle, cousin, and I have a yearly tradition where we make a prediction for Buckeye to have a breakout year. Last year, my uncle picked Wade, my brother picked Alave, my cousin picked Doug Guys McCall, and I picked Austin Mack. This year, I already have my pick locked for locked in for someone Buckeye Talk has not really sung high praises for, Jonathan Cooper. Mark me down for Jonathan Cooper leading the team in sacks. Sure, he may lead them, but I at least think he will have a breakout as he has experience, is a top 50 recruiting class commit that's been well-documented by U3 and will come in charged up about gaining a year of eligibility after an injury-ridden year. Uh, he's pick- picking him to have nine sacks, which he admits is a bold prediction. I uh, have a great appreciation for Jonathan Cooper. I think he played with a lot of guts last year. I think it, his impact in 2020 could be huge because of what they need from him in terms of leadership. And I think that leadership has to be on the field as much as they can get it there because I think that that impacts the game in a way that this just locker room leadership or this the the intangibles of a, a gritty guy being around the program it's not the same. But I have not I did not see anything even I know he was hurt last year, but there's nothing that makes me think he's going to push for that kind of sack total. In 2018, Jonathan Cooper after. Nick Bosa went out, was the other starting defensive end opposite Chase Young. Mm-hmm. According to our friends at 11 Warriors and their wonderful snap counts, in 2018, Chase Young had 784 snaps, and I think he had 10 and a half sacks that year. He did. Well, Jonathan Cooper yeah. had 632 snaps, and he had two and a half sacks. So the only way it happens, I think, is if the, the if, sack leading number is, is really three? low. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They have like, seven he, he'd have, really he'd have three I mean, sacks. He'd have to leave with four sacks. That's what literally would have to happen here. I if mean, I were, we've seen I, leaps. If you think, I mean, I, I like if you think that's what Jonathan Cooper's going to do, he's going to be a different player than he's been so far. Again, all due respect to Jonathan Cooper, but if I were picking, if I were ranking who might, if I like the likelihood of guys leading this team in sacks, I would have him below Vincent. I'd have him below Browning. I'd have him below Tyler Friday. Yes, and Friday. Yeah, I agree. Yes, yes. As we already discussed, um, uh, tied for second were Baron Browning and Tyreek Smith. 
Um, a, a lot of support for Bam Browning, and I don't know how many people were influenced by the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago where we were kind of, pl- you know, playing out some scenarios. Um, I, I Bam- want to say I am shocked. I have been on, like, the Baron Browning bandwagon for three years, and I am now the least optimistic Baron Browning guy on this podcast. Uh, you guys have surged past me in your Baron Browning has upside he, to, predictions and projections. To promote the Thursday podcast again, has has Baron Browning fallen out of favor with you? <laughs> no, I am realistic and I watch football. <laughs> I, like, I, think, I don't I know, think, man. I, I I don't like. You're just. I think he's gonna be like a a quite good outside linebacker who who is like a situational pass rusher. Um, but I think some of the stuff that's been that you guys have thrown around with him is just like that's like a, it's a bridge too far for me. I mean, if Baron Brownie gets ten sacks, we're talking about a a or especially when we're talking about thirteen and some of these other responses that we're throwing out there, you're talking about a first team All American kind of season from a linebacker because I think that means he's doing a lot of other things in this defense too. Um, I, I boy. Um, and I don't think he, I don't think he has to get 13 sacks or even 10 to be an, an All-American candidate potentially, um, cause a lot of linebackers don't get anywhere near that number. Uh, from 310, they will get less coverage sacks this year because of less talent in the defensive backfield. I think coverage sacks favor the D-line, so this year they'll need to get more creative at getting to the QB. I have to go with Bam Browning at linebacker. He'll need to get at least 10. My prediction is 11. Um, I feel like we've talked a lot about, um, let's, let's go with Tyreek Smith, um, cause he did get a lot of support too. Um, from the 513, um, Tyreek Smith, he's a junior with a huge pedigree. He's going to get healthy and have a Lattimore year with 15 sacks, keeping our top five defensive end draft pick streak alive. Could I'm Tyreek Smith make with, that kind of a jump? I'm on board with all of that except the 15. Yeah, 15 is is yeah. nuts. It's, 15 is disrespectful to how hard it is to get sacks. Yeah. Like, leap, health leap, Northeast Ohio guy in year three getting healthy and making a leap and being awesome – Totally, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I love that argument. And but to say not, he's a sack and a half away from whew. the guy who's probably the best pass rusher house State's ever seen. And that's, I mean, you watch, right? And that's the difference. Yeah. And, and I think people just need to have a real true appreciation of that. And the person, the previous texter made a great point about coverage sacks. Chase Young didn't get coverage sacks. Chase Young got, I beat two guys off the line with my first step and I was in the backfield in three, in, mm-hmm. in 1.6 seconds sacks. And so they aren't going to have as many covered sacks, and, and there just haven't been any guys to me that have shown anything close to that Chase Young get-off, to that Chase Young explosion. But I think, honestly, maybe the guy who has shown it more than anybody on the roster is Tyreek Smith, yeah, and that he's awesome. a year older than, than Zach Harrison. But I do think we have seen Tyreek from a typical defensive end position with the guy lined up to block him. We have seen him be explosive. And we have seen him get into the backfield in a hurry, not consistently in part because of health and in part because of opportunity. But as we continue having the discussion of guys haven't shown it, guys haven't shown it, guys haven't shown it, probably the guy who has shown it the most among guys who haven't shown it much is Tyreek Smith. Uh, A couple quick more answers on Tyreek Smith, um, because some people really did put some thought into these. Um, uh, from the 216, I think he's poised to break out and get 13 sacks if we play a full season, 10 if we don't have non conference games. Um, from Brian in the 614, um, 
I envision Harrison will require plenty of attention to his side because of his speed rush and continually pressure up the middle via Togiai and Vincent Garrett will flush the quarterbacks more to Smith, who knows this year is put up or shut up with regard to his NFL draft aspirations. And um, another one from the 678, um, he was kind of going game by game, how many things he, uh, Smith will get. Um, but ultimately, Tyreek goes top 10 in this year's draft. I mean, that's interesting to think about, that he's someone who has that kind of potential that kind of ceiling, I, I I don't dismiss that that's potentially out there for him. But but as Doug, as you've talked about before, there always seem to be those kind of guys um, sort of lingering on, on Ohio State's roster, just kind of getting that maybe later in career opportunity to break out and fulfill it. Um, and obviously that leads us to the number one vote getter, the same guy that Doug and I both voted for, 47.9% of the vote, Zach Harrison. And this is something that I think if you had, if we had done this last year at this time, we wouldn't have been asking who was going to lead Ohio State in sacks in 2019. We would have asked who's going to lead Ohio State in sacks in 2020 back then as well. And I think this is probably still would have been the number one answer. Yeah, what was what were Barron and uh, Tyreek tied at again? What was their percentage? 14.6. So Tyreek got 14% and Zach Harrison got 43%? 47.9. 9. 47%. So triple su- the support for Zach Harrison compared to Tyreek Smith? Correct. More That's than surprising. Triple. That surprises That's a me. I, I think, again, as I've said, I think Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are by far the most obvious answers, um, and I think they should be closer together. And, like, through the course of this discussion, I almost want to change my answer to Tyreek Smith, but I think um, I think it should be more, something more like, you know, Zach Harrison 35%, Tyreek Smith 30% with the voting. Yeah, I, I think part of this could be that uh, – Recency. It, it is a little, a little bit. It's 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 like reverse recency bias because I feel like what happens here sometimes is when Zach Harrison comes in as a freshman, he's you know all the, the high expectations, gets on the field, does some good things, but you're, the whole time he has the well, he's a true freshman. There's an excuse here, mm-hmm. Chase Young, um, rotation, whatever. You you build in kind of excuses for why he had only quote unquote three and a half sacks, and then Tyreek Smith, you look at him and you say he's more of a veteran. Maybe he should have had more of a presence. And he, I think people see people build in maybe fewer excuses for him. And I think his, I think more to the point, I think his production was a little bit um, overlooked. I think maybe he didn't get the credit for what he did last year because it wasn't flashy the same way. And nothing was flashy compared to Chase Young. Chase Young took up a lot of oxygen on that defensive front, obviously, or really the defense of the whole, the team as a whole. Um, and I think maybe, again, it's only three sacks that he had last year, but I think Tyreek Smith's overall impact, and, and, and that kind of comes maybe out in the pressures and things that, that don't jump out at you the same way a sack does. I think that got a little bit overlooked last year. I think Zach's just been here one year less, so it's been less picked apart. I think people will be right. feeling the exact same way when Jack Sawyer gets here, and people will be just as excited about Zach Sawyer more than they are Zach Harrison. It's the way that we're, there's always new talent at a place yeah, like Ohio right. State. This works in everything. And people love recruiting, and then your recruiting rating hangs with you for a year or a year and a half or so, mm-hmm. where you're still like the five-star people are excited about. And then once you get to like the end of year two, then if you're not an All-American, then your right. recruiting rating starts to work against you. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. people are like, hey, this guy is a top 50 recruit. What's up with this guy? Except for the people who think Jonathan Cooper in year five as a top 50 recruit is going to have 36 sacks this year. Those are the exception. Have not done it. But well, I guess Baron Browning, too, it goes into the same. We, we see it all the time. And like the idea of, and it is, maybe I'm, 
Because it's like people there are people who are geared up for Jonathan Cooper and Bryant and Baron Browning, and those are both somewhat tied to their recruiting ratings. Still, obviously, they have to be because they're both top fifty national guys. Um, but yet, they've given up on Tyreek Smith. Like I don't know. It, it can the recruiting rating hangs with you in many ways, though. So I think in general, they like the newer guys a little more than they like the guys who have been here longer. A couple of responses on Harrison uh, from the 614. I don't know how you could vote for anyone other than Zach Harrison. He may still be a bit raw, but I believe he's as athletic as any OSU defensive end in recent memory. Obviously much less of a technician when compared to the Boses or Chase, but I think he has incredible upside and could likely turn into a top five NFL pick by the end of his junior year. Reminds me of Jadavion Clowney at South Carolina. He'll have at least eight sacks this year. Mark, period, it, period, down, period. Um, Zach Harrison uh, from the 740 is going to get the majority of the reps from the right side freakish speed and athleticism rules today quite frankly I think he outperformed expectations last year uh, from the 610 Doug you can maybe respond to this instead of comparing him to Chase or the Bosa brothers is he more like Noah Spence very similar size more speed rush than power also a top 15 national recruit Spence had one sack as a freshman then seven and a half and was first team all big 10 as a sophomore um, you have better perspective I think on that kind of that's, comparison than, than we would. That's a good one. I think that's a good one. And I think I think maybe Noah Spence, Spence because of the way his career ended at Ohio State, he didn't get as many um, years with Larry Johnson. I mean, he didn't get any years with Larry Johnson, actually. Um, I think he was just a little more raw, and he wasn't maybe the same technician that a guy like Chase Young was in the end. Um, but it's easy for, to forget about Noah Spence because it, 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 it ended badly for him here. But that was a hugely gifted guy who with, you know, not was not a fully developed product um, in year two, but was still really effective. So I think that part of it, that if that's what you're thinking about, what year two Zach Harrison might be, I think that's really smart. And then you'll get to see what year three Zach Harrison looks like, which is what we never got to see with Noah Spence at Ohio State. Last one from the 619. Um, I'm, recruit- I'm including this because I think it brings up an interesting topic. Um, I'm going to go with 15 sacks, which, again, once the casinos open up, I will race you there to, to take the under on that. Uh, presumably the games will be played with a fraction of the crowd, meaning crowd noise is going to be almost a non-factor for at least a part of the season. That means D lineman will be able to get a better feel for the QB's snap count and the tone of his voice. I think this could lead for someone getting a better jump on tackles. Plus, people know about Zach. He's not quite the household name that Chase was last year, so he might go into the radar for at least a few games. But the first part of that, I, I haven't really considered yet, and this is probably something we'll talk about more later as we know more concrete details about the season. But how – and I don't know if it, it ultimately decides who's going to lead a team in sacks. But how crowd noise and the, or the lack thereof could affect pass rush and what that means for a team like Ohio State. My instinct is not that lack of crowd noise is good for the defense. My instinct is that it's good for the offense because how many times mm-hmm. does an offense have to go with a silent yeah. count and do stuff like that because they yeah. can't hear each other. So just because like the defense, I, I haven't thought about it, but everybody hears the snap count. The offense knows what the snap count is. The defense doesn't. So hut, hut, hut. like now you're jumping, right? Because you yeah. hear it. I, I don't – my instinct is to like – think 180 degrees opposite of that. I agree with that. I think there's going to be some encroachment penalties early on because of that fact that you are probably a little bit more jumpy because you're hearing it better than you would in a typical setting. Yeah, and plus you're, as a defensive lineman, 
which I can speak of after my long career as a, a defensive lineman in the Big Ten. Um, oh, <laughs> I think you're instructed not to go by the sound of the voice, right? You're supposed to be looking at the ball. So, um, yeah. yeah, that 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 may not. It's interesting to think about just how the game will be affected in general with less fans, but I, I don't know if that's. That is a good point by the texter. I think they're like we're talking about a lot of sort of like the atmosphere kind of things and like it's going to stink that fans can't be there. I think there might be actual tangible effects on the playing of the game as a result of being in uh, either empty stadiums or much less, much smaller crowds in the stadiums. I think that point from the texter is something that we should all be thinking about. It's just the way what is the result, but I think there might be some result. Doug, we've gone kind of long. Did you want to go into any of the results from, I mean, we've gone, from the response? Buckeye talk. We've <laughs> gone kind of long. Again, T-shirt slogan. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to say to wrap this up very quickly, uh, the 2017 season is the one that I think is, is, um, is it 2017 or 2000? Yeah, 2017. Rightly cited a lot as a time when that's the year they had the rotation um, at defensive end and, Jalen Holmes, Tyquan Lewis, Nick Bosa, um, and uh, Sam Hubbard basically played the exact same number of snaps that year. They all played between – it's amazing. It's ridiculous. Their snap counts that year for the four defensive ends were 542, 537, 534, 534. Like it was practically exact. And they were all really good, and then Chase Young was the fifth defensive end. And he had 196 uh, snaps that year. So the sack totals that season were Nick Bosa had 8.5, Sam Hubbard had seven, Tyquan Lewis had seven. And then there was a drop off. So I think it's possible, you know, Sam Hubbard was a third round pick after that year. Tyquan Lewis was a second round pick after that year. Nick Bosa went on to be the number two pick in the whole draft. So that's a really high bar of talent. Um, so I'm not saying maybe the talent is a little bit less than that with this group of guys, but that's what a pure rotation of defensive ends without one guy being ahead of the pack. That's kind of what it looks like statistically. And so if that's where we end up with Ohio state has like one guy with eight, a couple guys with seven, maybe a guy with six and five, I think that seems sort of very likely within this. And then it might turn out to be that it's like, you know, I'm yelling at everybody who picked Baron Browning to lead the team in sacks. You know, maybe Zach Harrison will lead the team with seven sacks and Baron Browning will have six and, and Tyreek Smith will have six and a half. You know, like, I think, I think that might be where we wind up where everybody is kind of right because there's going to be maybe three or four guys who have between, you know, five and eight. So do you want me to read some stuff or not? from the uh it's it's i, I leave it up team. to you you were the one because 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 it, it vindicated you so much i feel like maybe you yeah should. what if i just read the four that agree with me and none of the other nine would that what be- if this yeah what if this whole podcast had been just I, I, me talking about the guy who picked tommy togi to lead ohio state and yeah. i think i think you only reading those four would be the most fitting buckeye talk thing in the world that just actually think, is looking yeah. too um, <laughs> Just ignore the ones that tell you you're wrong. Buckeye, Buckeye talk. Doug is right even when he's wrong. Yep. Um, I'll read this from the 405. Wow, Carl from Oklahoma here. Thanks for the spirited debate with my question on what it would take for Coach Day to fall out of favor. Doug, you definitely interpreted the question I was asking. Nine and three next year would be very disappointing, but no way would most 
Buckeye fans want him removed. Personally, I think a 7-5 and five campaign with a loss to Michigan gets that talk real, especially with the talent they have. So that's the person who asked the question. And Nathan, to your point, we did sort of have a debate about even framing it the right way. Um, I'm not going to read all of them. This one from the 330. Sorry, Doug. Nathan and Steven are totally right to say that going 9-3 and three with the loss to Michigan would definitely give me, and I would say most Buckeye fans, some trepidation about Day's future. I wouldn't be ready to fire the guy, of course, but we've seen coaches be successful with the last guy's players and assistance and culture in the past. That like, It's like you're just an urban shadow. Um, but then they fail when the program became their own. Look at Oregon after Chip Kelly. I would be nervous that we were in that situation. Right now, I don't expect that at all, and I believe in Day, but a 9-3 and three season would change a lot of perceptions. Does that texter sound exactly like what you guys were saying? Go ahead, Nathan. You know, again, for me, it's, it, it, it's all about the, two, the 2020 context. It's not – losing three games in any season it's losing three games in 2020 with what we know about this roster that to me was was the, the crux of my argument so um again the the it's like two to one strongly agree with steven and nathan on yesterday's pod this is from the eight two eight nine and three in particular in this particular year with this schedule and this big 10 would give me pause, right? That's to your point, Nathan. People agreeing with that. Um, from the 330, Stephen and Nathan's side, 9 and 3 would give me pause. I agree. There's people in the middle who see it either way. I, so I'm not going to read the rest of them. We, I read them all myself, and I appreciated them, and it's a great discussion. And I love when – I love how the tech subscription and the podcast works together. I think that's when both are at their best, when they flow back and forth, it's our easy access to smart Ohio State opinions from fans. The tech subscribers give us that. And then we can share that with the podcast with people who are tech subscribers and aren't tech subscribers. So I just really like how this has worked out. I want to debate very briefly, not debate. I want to bring up two final points on this. As, uh, Greg, and, Greg C. from Greg C74, who's a very loyal subscriber, also mentioned this point. And it's the idea of Ohio State being stacked that they are stacked and loaded for bear this year. And I just want to read the projected defensive starters. Zach Harrison, Tommy Togiai, Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith, Baron Browning, Tuff Borland, Pete Warner, Seven Banks, Sean Wade, Cam Brown, Josh Proctor. Stacked? I, I Like as much as I think they might win the national title, I also think there is enough wiggle room of like, man, you know, I, I, the, the idea and like a bunch of freshman receivers who are going to be counted on who have never played, right? I mean, I get it. Of course, we know the good players on this team. They always have good players back. I would push back a little bit against like, I think they can simultaneously be like the favorite to win the national title, but also not yet really be at the level of like, Holy moly, if they don't win it this year, you know, when are they ever going to win it? Because they're stacked. Those 11 defensive starters, is that stacked with what they've done on the field so far? Is that really stacked, you guys, do you think? I think it's to what we've been speaking to this entire time. It's high ceiling, low floor. And you can be excited about it, but you also have to have that same caution because 
a lot of these guys have shown some things in the past that they that are great, but they've also had some really lackluster moments that have been costly. So I don't stacks is not the right word to use there. Um, optimistic maybe is the word. Yeah, like cautiously optimistic is maybe a better way of putting it. Yeah, it's 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 just difficult for me to look at a season where we talk about a team being a potential national championship favorite and then all things being equal in terms of health and everything else, them losing three regular season games and saying that that wasn't. I know we already said that, but what about stacked? Is that defense stacked? Did I use the word stacked? No, this, the texter did. I'm saying, do you agree with that? Or would you no, agree? to? I, I can't stay. I can't stand here today and say that's a stacked defense. No. All right. So the last other point I want to make is, Dabo Sweeney's f- first full years. We know he took over um, in the middle of the season. First full year, and, and I'm not saying it's an exact comparison. First full year, nine and five. Second year, six and seven. Third year, ten and four. Then eleven and two, eleven and two. Then ten and three, and then the roll started. Nick Saban, seven and six, year one, twelve and two, year three, fourteen and zero, won the national title. Next year, ten and three, then title, title. Urban Meyer, nine and three year one, 13 and one won the national title in year two, nine and four in year three. So the ones I want to point out there and are like a four loss season in year three for Dabo, a three loss season for Saban in year four, a three loss season for Urban Meyer. That's why I, I don't think, that's why I don't think three losses would put people on should put people and now I'm arguing what I was arguing before is that it wouldn't I can't argue that anymore because people are saying yes it would now I have to argue it shouldn't because sometimes you lose three games like just like whatever the specifics are sometimes you lose three games and I'm not saying I don't want to get into all the weeds of well who did they have back because I can show you Alabama had nine defensive or nine offensive starters back the year they lost three games after winning the national title Yes, they had people to replace on defense, but they had a lot back. They had their quarterback back. And so I get it. I get the argument. I just – part of my argument is like I almost think for anybody, almost for any program, anybody, three losses is just not enough for anyone to fall out of favor or cause anyone to be on pause because sometimes it just happens. And, and like – and that's it. Like that's almost the end of my argument. Regardless of whether you have Justin Fields, no matter what your schedule is, whatever your whether your defense is stacked or not, I think three losses to me still falls into the that can happen to anybody, and it doesn't really say anything long term about a guy or not. One year doesn't do that. One year of three losses doesn't do that. So I would not allow that to seep into my overall view of a coach. I would chalk it off at least initially to a blip. And now if we're talking about it happens in year two, again the next year and again the next year, now we can talk about, to me, falling out of favor and having pause. I just think three losses is too blippy, and so it, it just would not affect me at all. I, I think I, I, I allow for your greater point, I, but I also would push back a little bit on those – we don't need to go another half hour on this – but I would push back on those examples a little bit because Dabo was taking over a very different situation. He was building up towards the kind of status that these other schools we're talking about are at now. And in the case of Urban and Nick Saban, you're talking about playing an SEC schedule that Brian Day doesn't have to do. It's a very different context. Again, we're talking about the very specific 2020 context of Ryan Day leading Ohio State into this Big Ten schedule. And I, that's why I that's where the number I came up with. So um, another spirited debate. 
on that and many other topics. Um, we've been bringing that a lot, and I hope you guys out there are enjoying it. And we'll be back at it again later this week. Doug, you're not going to be around for the rest of the podcast this week. Furlough, baby. And then, Stephen, it'll be your turn next week. So you're going to get some uh, some partial Buckeye talk. You're going to get 66.7% of Buckeye no. talk. But I still think – I think we can get to 100 with just the two of us. I think we can make it happen. I think we can find enough things to argue about. Let's hope. And that was Buckeye Talk.